Section 14 of The Spirit of American Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Spirit of American Literature by John Albert Macy. Section 14. Whitman. Part 1. The singers are welcomed, understood, appear often enough. But rare has the day been, likewise the spot, of the birth of the maker of poems, the answerer. Rhymes and rhymers pass away, poems distilled from poems pass away. The swarms of reflectors and the polite pass and leave ashes. Admirers, importers, obedient persons make but the soil of literature. America justifies itself, given it time. No disguise can deceive it or conceal from it. It is impassive enough. Only the likes of itself will advance to meet it. If its poets appear, it will in due time advance to meet them. There is no fear of mistake. The proof of a poet shall be sternly deferred till his country absorbs him as affectionately as he has absorbed it. Only one day in the century of American literature is marked by the birth of a maker of poems, an answerer, the day when Whitman was born. The history of Whitman, of his poetry, and of the effect it has had on many kinds of men is a history of the slow advance of democracy to meet its poets or one of its poets for there shall be many when leaves of grass appeared in eighteen fifty five it was welcomed by a few great liberal spirits notably by emerson later whitman was hailed by some englishmen of letters including several of the young raphaelite group who were at once so daringly modern and so yearningly curious of the middle ages Conventional teachers of literature, professional book reviewers, whom Whitman openly challenged with his magnificent kindly scorn, quite naturally returned fire, and inevitably betrayed their impotence. A group of young Americans, then at the beginning of careers which have since made their names known, such as Mr. John Burroughs and Mr. Horace Traubel, formed a Whitman cult, whose devotion and nobility of thought more than atone for such partisan overemphasis as is characteristic of all militant discipleships. A generation of British poets and radical thinkers who were young when Leaves of Grass was new, for instance, W. E. Henley and Edward Carpenter, have felt Whitman's influence and been strengthened by it in true self-expression. The present generation of young readers of poetry contains men who no more doubt that Whitman is the greatest poetic voice of nature and liberty, since Wordsworth and Shelley, than they doubt that Lincoln was the greatest statesman. Meanwhile, the great public, common humanity, the average man, whom Whitman loved and knew better than did Wordsworth or Shelley or any other poet, seems to deny its own prophet. That is, the multitude do not read him, thereby negatively attesting that they hold him the equal of Dante and Milton, whom also they do not read. I bestow upon any man or woman, says Whitman, the entrance to all gifts of the universe, but many men and women do not accept this generosity. The indifference of democracy to its greatest poet seems a paradox, but the indifference does not exist. America is not a democracy. It is a vast bourgeoisie. The democracy which Whitman celebrates has not arrived on the earth. The men and women he saw and loved were the material of which he believed a democracy is some day to be born. So that when professors, deaf and blind to the life about them, and especially to democracy, which is as yet felt only by a minority, say that the ideals of the people are contrary to whitman's ideals of the people they are superficially right 
the ideals of the people are bourgeois ideals inculcated by most of the savants in obedience to the economic powers that endow and dominate the universities the democratic ideal the ideal of shelley of mazzini of young wagner of lincoln corroborative passages are abundant in the writings of these apparently dissimilar men has not yet reached the majority of the people the middle-class thinkers and teachers who manage our schools and our press are undemocratic and ignorant it is true as professor george santayana says that whitman failed radically in his dearest ambition if his dearest ambition was to be read by the millions but whitman was no fool did not expect in his lifetime to be read by a million people moreover to say as professor santayana says that he can never be the poet of the people is a prophecy which since one man has as much right as another to guess at the future can be met with the contrary prophecy that whitman will be one of the poets of the people when and not until democracy dominates this world then the people will advance to meet him there is no fear of mistake to say that democracy did not accept him is like saying that nature did not buy copies of wordsworth poems or that the inhabitants of the infernal areas did not sit about reading dante shelley and morris the greatest of all english poets of liberty are not in the coat pockets of the workmen whose emancipation they chanted the reviews of the year eighteen hundred and twenty show that the gross-minded respectable persons of shelley's time gave him the same reception which literacy and academic authority accorded to whitman and the dear public still ignores shelley after a hundred years in the course of time it became the conventional thing to read and admire shelley or to admire him whether one read him or not that is his skylark and other nature poems were found to be admirable just as whitman's captain my captain and the song of the bird in sea drift find favor with lovers of pure lyrics and are included in chaste unrevolutionary anthologies of poetry but shelley's poetic rage against tyranny is so far in advance of british life today that if his ideas were put into prose so that english people could understand them and if they were propagated by the universities and reviews that know all about art the government would order the troops out as promptly as it does when workmen strike for the right to live similarly whitman's essential ideas must be ignored or comfortably misunderstood by the licensed thought-mongers and the people must be taught that when any idea like whitman's appeals to them as right and just and truly democratic they are being cheated by demagogues as professor santayana puts it so much argument is necessary to account for the stupidity of learned doctors and acknowledged teachers of aesthetics in their treatment of whitman they are the voice of entrenched respectability against every voice of democracy whether whitman becomes the poet of the people depends solely on whether the people rise from their economic and spiritual slavery and organize a true democracy then only will disappear the possibility that a professor of reputed authority in matters of art and philosophy can find an analogy between a mass of images without structure and the notion of an absolute democracy whitman's poetry is no more without structure than shakespeare's and an absolute democracy would be the most highly organized and well-constructed government possible the disorder which whitman pictures is the world as it is his democracy is an ideal a society of the future which is to grow out of the visible disorder of the present whoever then does not understand what the word democracy means whoever does not understand that we are not living in a democracy at all but in a timocracy that is under a capitalistic oligarchy cannot understand whitman or any other radical thinker of the nineteenth century ruskin thoreau wagner tolstoy
whitman who understood men and affairs shrewdly is not under any delusion that the life about him is democratic he chants it as a confusion and celebrates it for what it may become the true america is for him still asleep why reclining interrogating why myself and all drowning what deepening twilight scum floating atop of the waters who are they as bats and night dogs askant at the capital what a filthy presidentiad o south your torrid suns o north your arctic freezings are those really congressmen are those the great judges is that the president then i will sleep a while yet for i see that these states sleep for reasons with gathering murk with muttering thunder and lambent shoots we shall all duly awake south north east west inland and seaboard we will surely awake the country is not yet awake but all the countries of the world are turning in their sleep i pick up this morning's copy of a labor paper and read signs not yet understood by politicians or by professors of philosophy and economics in that paper amid the news of the day i find quotations from whitman and ruskin small signs indicating perhaps only an editor who reads good books when we wish to know what the people read it is difficult to get a census but if we are wise we do not try to find out by consulting the new york nation in his song of the broad axe whitman chants the construction of democracy not the america of mr bryce's commonwealth nor the america of the western continent but the coming world of free men where the city stands with the brawniest breed of orators and bards where the city stands that is beloved by these and loves them in return and understands them where no monuments exist to heroes but in the common words and deeds where thrifts is in its place and prudence is in its place where the men and women think lightly of the laws where the slave ceases and the master of slaves ceases where the populace rise at once against the never-ending audacity of elected persons where fierce men and women pour forth as the sea to the whistle of death pours its sweeping and unripped waves where outside authority enters always after the precedence of inside authority where the citizen is always the head and ideal and president mayor governor and what not are agents for pay where children are taught to be laws to themselves and to depend on themselves where equanimity is illustrated in affairs where speculations on the soul are encouraged where women walk in public processions in the streets the same as the men where they enter the public assembly and take the place the same as the men where the city of the faithfulest friends stands where the city of the cleanliness of the sexes stands where the city of the healthiest fathers stands where the city of the best-bodied mothers stands there the great city stands this is not the city of any present land but the city of tomorrow thou mother with thy equal brood thou varied chains of different states yet one identity only a special song before i go i'd sing over all the rest for thee the future the whole of this splendid poem to a union as yet unfulfilled should take its place in collections of patriotic pieces the whole of this splendid poem to a union as yet unfulfilled should take its place in collections of patriotic pieces amid the national boasts and doggerel and the hymns that sing the warlike glories of the past the songs of a nation probably have less influence on it than poets like to believe yet it would seem that a stronger nutriment than my country tis of thee and the star-spangled banner must be provided for american children 
if they are ever to breed a better race than we are the race that whitman proclaims the soul its destinies the real real purport of all these apparitions of the real in thee america the soul its destinies thou globe of globes thou wonder nebulous by many a throw of heat and cold convulsed by these thyself solidifying thou mental orb thou new indeed new spiritual world the present holds thee not for such vast growth as thine for such unparalleled flight as thine such brood as thine the future only holds thee and can hold thee whatever the future holds must be made of all the elements of the present therefore whitman sings the universal world-ground actuality leaves of grass is a progression a development natural seemingly spontaneous following and recording whitman's personal growth yet deliberately consciously wrought to symbolize the growth of the world the song of myself is a vast analogy representing the universe to the superficial reader a purposeless string of details it is really a song of the materials of which the poem of life is to be made out of it springs the songs of love of national unity that is the common brotherhood of man of cities of nature of war and its heroes lincoln the wise civilian of religion of death those who have not read whitman or have been misled by those who have not read him should open leaves of grass in the middle and come under the spell of the self-explanatory beautiful things sea drift the song of joys when lilacs last in the dooryard bloomed and then having got a liking for him should read him through to understand him entire the song of myself and children of adam are to be understood only as part of his whole development and it may be that since they stand first in leaves of grass they have forbidden some readers to go deeper into the book at the beginning of his work he is belligerently advancing a new theory of poetry the prose explanation of this theory is his backward glance over travelled roads which is as great a moment in the progress of criticism as the art of english poesy and wordsworth's prefaces to the lyrical ballads he holds that nothing if deeply understood is too ignoble for poetic expression and that the true poet will not omit the facts of life i dare not shirk any part of myself nor any part of america good or bad to enforce his doctrine that a leaf of grass is no less than the journey work of the stars he at first deliberately even aggressively selects commonplace things repulsive things the corpse with its dabbled hair the slough of boot soles what is commonest cheapest nearest easiest under stress of his conviction he seems to go out of his way to mingle together the grotesque and the magnificent the petty and the supernal later when he takes himself more for granted and has less need to drive home his theory of poetic diction and poetic content he is not so much inclined to what may seem a pell-mell catalogue like other great poets he comes to full mastery of himself and his ideas therefore his later poems are more likely than his earlier ones to capture the new reader at least let it be understood that he is not even when he sings of me walt whitman manhattanese blowing his own horn but is personating man and the universe i am the man i suffered and was there i am the hounded slave i am the mashed fireman with breastbone broken i am the old artillerist not a youngster is taken for larceny but i go up to and am tried and sentenced i tramp a perpetual journey rightly comprehended whitman's central theme is a cosmic declaration of sympathy a reverberant announcement 
of the love and imagination which enabled the great artist to identify himself with all the joys and sorrows of man. The idea has never been more mightily, more embracingly expressed, and its seemingly haphazard details are intended, calculated by a poet, in confident command of his thought and his symbols, to suggest inclusion, a human godlike numbering of the falling sparrow and measurement of the wide circuit of the star. Whitman breaks through all artificial boundaries erected by the blind hostilities of men, all castes, philosophies, and schools that keep neighbors upon a common globe sundered from each other and from their common work. He strikes the mind from a hundred sides to reach it somehow, if not with one detail, then with another, to shock us out of our false conceits, deliver us from the prison of unsympathetic isolation. It is not he who is fragmentary and disparate, but our thoughts and interests. Great-hearted people love him and understand him. He is unintelligible or offensive to persons who have been deflected from him by some single verses, and so have never entered him, and to persons whose education has cramped their humanity, or who had little humanity to begin with. The new reader will find that he must read Leaves of Grass several times to get the full import of it. The central idea is expressed in its most compact form, in By Blue Ontario's Shores, and a song for occupations but leaves of grass is one poem as truly as is goethe's faust or dante's divina commedia it must be read entire or it will not be understood even by those who eagerly accept and appreciate some of the parts like an earlier lover of men whitman holds his arms about the poor and the diseased like wordsworth and burns he finds beauty in the trench digger and the breaker of stones but no one before him ever gathered the world to his bosom with such immense tenderness. At thirty-five he phrased impulsively, as no one else had ever phrased it, that portrait of man-loving man, with a few years later as hospital nurse, he illustrated his own conduct. In no other volume of poetry, in neither Dante nor Shakespeare, are so many motives of life so powerfully suggested, blent, interfused, as in leaves of grass. Each motive, each person, each leaf is on a stipe, which stands rooted in the universal ground. The songs of sexual love are paeans to nature. A woman's breast heaves like the sea, and fatherhood emblemizes the continuous procreation of the world which wills ever to be, never to cease. In the elegy on Lincoln, the lilac and star and bird are twined in a song to death. The friendships of men coil about the world and bind the races in a mystic, still unrealized, yet living human brotherhood. Comradeship flowers from the shambles of war, beautiful death becomes a mode of life the primal sanities of nature are not shaken by bloody conflict the sacred moon bathes the battlefield with impartial lights as we all see it in physical nature and as whitman makes us feel it in the meaning of nature love the reconciler enfolds all world over all beautiful as the sky beautiful that war and all its deeds of carnage must in time be utterly lost that the hands of the sisters death and night incessantly softly wash again and ever again this soiled world for my enemy is dead a man divine as myself is dead i look where he lies white-faced and still in the coffin i draw near bend down and touch lightly with my lips the white face in the coffin whitman who viewed the world whole who fitted each least word knowingly in its place who celebrated the integrity of things must be read whole leaves of grass let it be repeated with whitmanian insistence is a unit an ensemble to use a favorite word of his 
it is not a fortuitous collection of passing moods and detached visions but a total confession of a man's poetic faith the end seen from the beginning all perfectly articulate and wrought patiently by a man who knew as absolutely as alexander pope or any other rhetorically cunning poet just what his effect should be and how to arrive at it single passages selected from whitman may be misunderstood and have been misunderstood even by readers inclined to be appreciative to take a comic example the words barbaric yawp had been quoted by themselves as if they were whitman's estimate of his poetry he had no such poor opinion of himself he thought his verse beautiful he intended to make it beautiful he was a passionate lover of exquisite sounds and sights the passage which contains the words barbaric yawp is intelligible as a whole it begins with a hawk swooping and crying over the roofs of the town whitman instantly identifies himself with the hawk and flies and cries with it as in another place he sonorously murmurously identifies himself with the surges of the sea his father his fierce old mother a more serious illustration of the ruinous effect of selecting single poems and phrases out of whitman with no sense of his vocabulary as the rest of his poetry establishes and clarifies it is the abusive quotation of parts of the children of adam whitman who sets out to praise the entire world praises along with the rest what every honest man acknowledges values delights in suffers from the procreative impulse the force which in our traditional literature few books except the bible treat plainly the force that romantic literature has perverted and comic literature has poisoned with its cynicism whitman makes us ashamed of our shame sweet sane still nakedness in nature he says in specimen days ah if poor sick prurient humanity in cities might really know you once more is not nakedness then indecent no not inherently it is your thought your fear your respectability that is indecent the world has soiled us so indelibly that we shall need a century of regeneration and many powerful voices besides whitman's to cure us of our hypocrisy and pusillanimity the civilized man today knows that his words on this subject will be futile and suspect and so he quotes gratefully from one of his superiors anne gilchrist a noble englishwoman whose delicate purity responded to the superb purity of whitman in a letter to william m rossetti the first english editor of whitman she writes you argued rightly that my confidence would not be betrayed by any of the poems in this book none of them troubled me even for a moment because i saw at a glance that it was not as men had supposed the heights brought down to the depths but the depths lifted up level with the sunlit heights that they might become clear and sunlit too always for a woman a veil woven out of her own soul never touched upon even with a rough hand by this poet but for a man a daring fearless pride in himself not a mock modesty woven out of delusions a very poor imitation of a woman's do they not see that this fearless pride this complete acceptance of themselves is needful for her pride her justification what is it also ignoble so base that it will not bear the honest light of speech from lips so gifted with the divine power to use words then what hateful bitter humiliation for her to have to give herself up to the reality do you think there is ever a bride who does not taste more or less this bitterness in her cup but who put it there it must surely be man's fault not god's that she has to say to herself soul look another way you have no part in this motherhood is beautiful 
fatherhood is beautiful but the dawn of fatherhood and motherhood is not beautiful do they really think that god is ashamed of what he has made and appointed and if not surely it is somewhat superfluous that they should undertake to be so for him the full spread pride of man is calming and excellent to the soul of a woman above all it is true that instinct of silence i spoke of is a beautiful imperishable part of nature too but it is not beautiful when it means an ignominious shame brooding darkly shame is like a very flexible veil that follows faithfully the shape of what it covers beautiful when it hides a beautiful thing ugly when it hides an ugly one it has not covered what was beautiful here it has covered a mean distrust of a man's self and of his creator it was needed that this silence this evil spell should for once be broken and the daylight let in that the dark cloud lying under might be scattered to the winds it was needed that one who could here indicate for us the path between reality and the soul should speak that is what these beautiful despised poems the children of adam do read by the light that glows out of the rest of the volume light of a clear strong faith in god of an unfathomably deep and tender love for humanity light shed out of a soul that is possessed of itself the platonic idea of love as well expressed in some of shakespeare's sonnets or anywhere in english literature merges the love of individual in the love of immortal beauty it is a noble idea and seems at first sight not unlike whitman's sinking of the personal in the universal but the platonic idea is a thin abstraction which denatures love robs it of its human countenance in the process of eternalizing it more vitally noble is whitman's ideal which finds the body and soul of love in the bosom of living nature and glorifies the will to live the irresistible urge of creation one of the many voices by which the universe affirms that it shall not die the individual love its meeting and parting is a token of the world which is not chaos or death but form union plan it is eternal life it is happiness out of the rolling ocean the crowd came a drop gently to me whispering i love you before long i die i have travelled a long way merely to look on you to touch you for i could not die till i once looked on you for i feared i might afterward lose you now we have met now we have looked we are safe return in peace to the ocean my love i too am part of that ocean my love we are not so much separated behold the great rondure the cohesion of all how perfect but as for me for you the irresistible sea is to separate us as for an hour carrying us diverse yet cannot carry us diverse forever be not patient a little space know you i salute the air the ocean and the land every day at sundown for your dear sake my love whitman is a poet of joy of grave deep well-meditated joy which breaks forth into moments of delirious ecstasy there is a kind of joy often expressed by romantic poets which is followed by a sickly reaction in the poetry of the nineteenth century it is seen sitting amid the ruins of a spurious medievalism woefully rubbing the morning head of delusion if as if browning it marches victorious to the last it pays for its continuance by falsifying life pippa's jubilant and morally efficacious song is so factitiously timed that disbelief refuses to remain suspended in a mind that sees life courageously from all sides 
the curative obviously cheering fact does not on most days of the world arrive on schedule like the doctor to a patient whitman is not so blind that he must justify life by denying the odious parts of it he is no timid dishonest optimist but bravely even brutally commands you to see all aspects of the conflict strange and hard the paradox true i give objects gross and the soul unseen are one he warbles unmitigated adoration only after he has accepted life whole sized it up and decided that the universe is not a suck and a cell representing himself as a loafer sipping delights here and there he is no butterfly of the hour but of all poets he is the one who faces death with eyes widest open serenely comprehending it and protesting plainly against the optimism that is founded on blind denial of facts the rounded catalogue divine complete sunday went this afternoon to church a college professor reverend doctor gave us a fine sermon during which i caught the above words but the minister included in his rounded catalogue letter and spirit only the aesthetic things and entirely ignored what i have named in the following the devilish and the dark the dying and diseased the countless nineteen twentieths low and evil crude and savage the crazed prisoners in jail the horrible rank malignant venom and filth serpents the ravenous sharks liars the dissolute what is the part the wicked and the loathsome bear within earth's orbic scheme newts crawling things in slime and mud poisons the barren soil the evil of men the slag and hideous rot in another poem i observe the slights and degradations cast by arrogant persons upon laborers the poor and upon negroes and the like all these all the meanness and agony without end i sitting look out upon see here and am silent so facing life he yet names its joy because joy is the force of life and the lack of it is real death spiritual death not to exclude or demarcate or pick out evils from their formidable masses even to expose them but add fuse complete extend and celebrate the immortal and the good joy shipmate joy please to my soul at death i cry our life is closed our life begins the long long anchorage we leave the ship is clear at last she leaps she swiftly courses from the shore joy shipmate joy this for him at seventy is the calming thought of all that coursing on whatever men's speculations amid the changing schools theologies philosophies amid the bawling presentations new and old the round earth's silent vital laws facts modes continue in the year that trembled and reeled beneath him must i change my triumphant songs said i to myself must i indeed learn to chant the cold dirges of the baffled and the sullen hymns of defeat and yet not you alone twilight and hurrying ebb nor you ye lost designs alone nor failures aspirations i know divine deceitful ones your glamours seeming duly by you from you the tide and light again duly the hinges turning duly the needed discord parts offsetting blending weaving from you from sleep night death itself the rhythmus of birth eternal this is his reflection on hegel roaming in thought over the universe i saw the little that is good 
steadily hastening towards immortality and the vast all that is called evil i saw hastening to merge itself and become lost and dead many a riotously delighted lover of life many a thoughtless hedonist in the flush of youth runs headlong against the fact of death and is daunted and from him we get the weary song of sorrow and parting and loneliness and the end but whitman in the heyday of his prime sees death and embraces him death is beautiful what indeed is finally beautiful except death and love oh i think it is not for life i am chanting here my chant of lovers i think it must be for death for how calm how solemn it grows to ascend to the atmosphere of lovers death or life i am then indifferent my soul declines to prefer i am not sure but the high soul of lovers welcomes death most give me your tone therefore o death that i may accord with it give me yourself for i see that you belong to me now above all and are folded inseparably together you love and death are nor will i allow you to balk me any more with what i was calling life for now it is conveyed to me that you are the purpose essential that you hide in these shifting forms of life for reasons and that they are mainly for you end of section 14 read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama